0: Well, hello there listeners, it's Susie New here, President of the Australian Society of Anesthetists, and welcome to our podcast, it's called Australian Anesthesia, and it's where we talk all things relevant to anesthesia in Australia. So when I was a relatively new consultant, I did a leadership workshop, and one of the things that they presented was that following graduation, following acquiring most of your technical skills, most of your growth as a professional is actually in the area of leadership. You kind of need it for everything, about understanding who you are, how you communicate, how you might make change happen. So if you've ever thought about leadership, your professional goals, a professional well-being strategy, or even just wanting to get more time back in your day, then this episode might be for you. In this episode, I'm talking with two doctors from Tauranga in New Zealand, Melanie Johns and Renee Franklin. Renee is an anaesthetist and Melanie Johns is a GP who's also a professional supervisor. Now, you might have heard of professional supervision as it's really common in other areas such as psychology and social work. Unfortunately, most doctors leave it too late to consider professional supervision and wait until they're at crisis point. So, I really encourage you to listen to this episode and consider following in the footsteps of Renee and enter into professional supervision when you're not at crisis point, when everything is going well. Okay, let's go learn more about it. Thank you so much. Thanks for giving up some time today. Have you both always lived and been from Tauranga?
1: No, I'm from Wellington originally, and Mel, you Hamilton originally. We met as junior doctors when we were in, in Rotorua, working there many years ago. Does that help when it
0: comes to supervision, that you know each other from previously?
1: there's pros and cons. I think sometimes it's easy just to end up chatting, you know, like we have to be a bit more careful about sticking to the plan, but it's also, there's so much shared history that we can jump right in at a different level. It's been a long time since we'd worked together, and the shared history probably is more about
2: the culture of medicine, and as a supervisor and a doctor, I understand a bit about the culture of medicine, whereas my supervisor's a psychologist, so has never had those house officer years or worked in a hospital system in the way that I have. So I might have to explain more to him about a situation, which sometimes is helpful. Having to explain things makes you think about them.
1: Yeah, it makes you realise sometimes when it's when it's problematic, when you've just accepted it as what's normal. Yeah, and
2: explaining something outside to someone outside the system can make you see it with different eyes and think, oh, yeah, that's not very normal.
0: That's a really good point. It's a bit like when I talk to the occupational hygienists about respiratory protection and they say, how can you put up with that in health? Like that doesn't stand in any other industry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what is supervision exactly?
2: Supervision's hard to define. So I thought long and hard about supervision, a good name, and I've decided it's not, but it's what it is. So we can't really go changing the name. I believe supervision is a regular planned event with professional goals that you've identified supervision will be useful for. And those goals might relate to specific situations at work or they might relate to relationships that you have with people at work, workplace challenges, work-life balance, that you take your specific challenges to supervision and then you've got an opportunity to really talk them through with someone who's going to listen carefully to what you're saying, explore those issues with you and help you find a way to move forward. The idea being that over time, you'll get a deeper awareness into what's going on and supervision is what we call reflection on action. So we'll be discussing something that has happened and with time an experienced supervisee develops reflection in action when they can be in a situation and thinking oh yeah I would take this to supervision and if I was there I would think about it this way or I'd be encouraged to think about it in that way. And therefore, you find as you become more experienced at supervision, you're more likely to take deeper levels of problems to supervision because you're kind of creaming off the easy stuff yourself. Interesting. Is it like coaching? I'm not sure I really know what coaching is. And we discussed this the other day is what is supervision called outside of New Zealand? Is it still supervision? Supervision comes from a practice of clinical supervision where it was done by someone, usually your senior and you reviewed your cases with your senior, it's come out of psychology really. And then there was this concept of external supervision being you could take your challenges to someone outside your organisation who wasn't evaluating your performance. And there you might be more able to discuss things that you don't want your manager necessarily to hear
1: you discuss. We weren't really sure what it was in Australia or if you had it there, Susie. I don't know if it's coaching. Is that something that people do regularly in Australia?
0: It's interesting. I don't know in the anesthesia world, I know one anesthetist who's a coach Mm -hmm. and I hear it more sort of in the leadership, business management world. And I think one person I heard talking about it, they had a good description. They said, coaching is like product development, but the product is you.
1: Mm -hmm. It kind of is like that, I think. Don't you, Melanie? It's almost like having a sports coach for work.
2: Yeah. I just want to be clear that supervision is not me telling you what to do. Supervision is you bring me your concerns, your challenges, and we talk about them, and I try and encourage you to look at it from this angle, consider something else. Whereas coaching and mentoring, I think, imply a bit more leadership from the supervisor to the supervisee. Whereas in supervision, it's encouraged to be more of a reflective process.
0: I've got a psychologist friend, and she talks about all through her clinical career, she has a supervisor. And she describes it as having a therapeutic relationship.
2: Exactly how i describe it. In my training, I was one of two doctors. Most of the others were counsellors, psychologists and social workers. And in New Zealand, they are all required to have ongoing supervision throughout their careers. They start as students. And they have this phrase, they kept saying, oh, so I thought I'll take that to supervision.
1: Mm. And I realised that they had somewhere to go with all those challenges. Mel's talked about during her training, there being a big focus on clinical cases and, um, and discussing clinical cases. But I think we as doctors often have a good network at work to discuss clinical cases and it's kind of seen as acceptable and normal to discuss clinical cases with our colleagues at work. And so I find it's actually not what Mel and I discuss most of the time. It's more like interpersonal relationships, goal setting, what I'm missing in my armory at work. For example, I'm an intern supervisor, so I supervise PGY one and two house officers. So one of the things I would say to Mel was sometimes don't feel like I'm doing that job as well as I should be or just coming up with different strategies to to fill in the gaps I think I have in being the best I can be at different aspects of my work. But we very, very rarely talk about clinical cases.
2: Yeah, and I'd throw that back at you and say now, what options have you got? Tell me about your options. Because when we're thinking about things at home, we don't often sit there and really think through every available option in a logical way. And a supervisor is there basically to keep your reflective thinking on track. It's totally my experience that my supervisees bring me much more along the way of managerial, interpersonal workplace challenges. The people who bring me clinical cases tend to be new to their workplace and haven't yet built that trusted relationship with their colleagues. So that might be, for example, someone who's just moved to the area. But otherwise, there's much more around this person really pisses me off and I Mm -hmm. need to figure out how I can work alongside them.
0: And we all have those issues in our workplaces. I wanted to come back to something you said before, Melanie, about when you first were learning how to do supervision, you were the only doctor.
2: There was one other doctor on the course who had been obtaining supervision through her work. And I've subsequently found two other doctors in New Zealand providing supervision. But it was actually my supervisor, my first supervisor, who was a psychologist, who said, we need doctors doing this because some doctors want to talk to other doctors.
0: And the other thing I picked up was when you said there were other people, other psychologists and social workers and so forth saying, oh, I'll take this to supervision. There seems to be a real culture of doing it in those professional groups, which we don't have in medicine.
2: And it feels really safe, doesn't it? I've got somewhere to go with that problem. I'm not going to lie and bed and worry about it and fret about it and try and tested on my partner, who's not the right person to talk to about it.
0: Given that it's such a minority in medicine at the moment, how did you get into it?
2: Yeah, like I said, encouraged by my own supervisor, who I had been talking to about my career and where I was at, and that I was kind of looking for something new. And um, she said to me, I really think you should look into this. I think you'd really enjoy it. So I did look into it. And it was, you know, it's a big financial step. Because I'm a GP, I get no CME funding, so I self-funded my postgraduate certificate and took the time off work, but really enjoyed it. And it just felt like the right time in life to try something new. But I'll see how it goes, and it's been successful, which was great.
0: Yeah. How did you first get a supervisor?
2: I was told I had to get one. I work in a sexual assault service, and I was advised... Everyone doing clinics had to have supervision. No one could tell me what it was. No one could explain it to me, tell me what I'd be talking about. No one really knew how to find a supervisor. Someone said, oh, I see this person, you could give them a call. Like There's no list you can go to. So it just felt really weird. And looking back for the first couple of years, I did not use my supervision well because my supervisors probably assumed a level of knowledge that I didn't have and weren't therefore encouraging me to say, hey, look, you know, if you brought some stuff along, you know, you'd get more out of these sessions. And I think I was feeling vulnerable at times and didn't want to take the big stuff along because it was just a bit scary. And I didn't quite know how that would go. Whereas now I'm quite happy to say, well, you know, here's the drama.
0: How about you, Renee? Again, you know, given that we don't often hear about supervision, what made you step into it?
1: Well, uh, we'd sort of been talking at work um, about supervision and I knew the group of paediatricians at work were already accessing supervision. And we'd had a Our educational meeting had been on burnout and we'd sort of discussed supervision there and that it was an option and discussed that we could claim it for our continued medical education fund. Melanie was my GP at that time and she said, I'm not going to be your GP anymore. (laughs) I'm going to go and do this other cool thing. And I thought, wow. That other cool thing, something I've been thinking about. <laughs> and so that was sort of the start of it. it was I was very, very sad that I had to find another GP because I had a great GP, but um excited at the same time and and that was what, how long ago now? Two or three years, and then we've just been meeting every six to eight weeks since.
0: Great, and good on you for having a GP, by the way. And so Melanie, have you given up general practice now to work as a supervisor?
2: Not entirely, but at that time, I chose to leave my general practice job and do urgent care work, partly because I knew if I went into part-time general practice in the same practice, all my patients would want to stay with me, and I'd end up with half the number of appointments and the same amount of paperwork. And if I changed practice, probably a significant number would follow me. (laughs) So I stepped away. I'm now doing one day of general practice and one day of urgent care a week, but I've not got registered patients. And partly that's been because I wasn't sure how supervision was going to go, but I wanted to be able to expand. Going back to what Renee was saying, Renee is quite an anomaly, really, because she is a doctor who's entered supervision in the way that social workers and counsellors and psychologists do, which is, this is part of my professional well-being strategy. Most doctors who have come to me have come because they've reached a point of crisis and someone has suggested to them, hey, look, you should go and get supervision, And usually we've got through the crisis and then they've kept going. My clients who haven't come in crisis have tended to come from other fields, so they're nurses or they work in child protection managers, or something. So fields where supervision is the norm. But it's interesting. Often doctors come in quite defensive and like, oh, what's this about? And I have to tell my secrets and I don't want to. Which is why I established the website, because I just felt, felt there needed to be a place where someone could have a look and go, is this actually what I'm after? Because they need to be really careful that it's supervision they're seeking. They're not actually needing psychotherapy or counselling. That the level of distress is such that it's a professional work matter, not a a life crisis.
1: It's a bit daunting going the first time because you feel like you need to have questions. Or if you're not in crisis, like, what am I going to talk about? You know, like I thought, oh, you know, work was fine. I enjoyed my job. There was nothing really no big major problems. But then with, within about 10 minutes of some really open questions, we had a quickly, you know, accumulated a list of things to discuss, which was really interesting. <laughs> that That is
0: really interesting because that's what I often hear people say, oh, I'm fine. I'm doing well. I talk to my partner or I've got someone I can debrief yeah. with or whatever. I don't really need to go into this for my well being because my well being is, Fantastic, thank you very much. So that's a really good example. Uh, Melanie, have you got anything to say to people with that kind of attitude?
2: I think we have a low bar for "I'm fine" in medicine, because yes, I'm fine, and that I'm not going home and crying. But are you leaving <laughs> on time? Are you having joy in your day? How are you dealing with your frustrations and your negativity? Is your well-being as good as it could be? Are you having your discussions with the right people? You might be able to talk to your partner, but like my partner's not medical, and he does not want to hear about my day. Particularly, doesn't want to hear about my sexual assault work. So choosing appropriate people to talk to and choosing someone without their own agenda can often be difficult. An example is someone who's thinking, is this the right career for me? Am I working in the right place? Well, if you talk to a colleague, they're thinking, shit, I don't want to lose you. I'll have to take on your work or I might not get someone I like to work next to. And if it's your partner, they might think, well, if you leave that job, where's the money going to come from? You know, I want to have a nice holiday.
1: One of the things about supervision is it's
2: confidential and it's with someone who's not
1: got their own agenda. And you don't have to feel bad about offloading either. Like sometimes you feel like if you've spoken to a friend at work or a colleague or someone you're close to, you feel like you're sort of dumping your stuff onto them. But it's perfectly okay for me to dump my stuff onto Melanie. She's <laughs> paid to listen. And it never really feels like that because it's so constructive that I'm not just dumping it and then it's sitting there. I come away with it resolved. Often Melanie doesn't need to say anything. It's like the process of talking through it. She might just say one or two little things and I have figured it out myself. I think that's important now because in the time of COVID, everybody's tired.
2: Everyone's resilience is low. And if you know your colleagues having a shitty time or really tired, you might be less inclined to share your own rant with them. I do a little survey every year of all my clients and how supervision going? What do you want to do? And a few people just write, I want to rant.
0: <laughs> so Melanie, you you had a supervisor before you became one. Do you still have a supervisor?
2: Absolutely. That would be unethical not to, in my view. And to my supervisor, I might take things from any of my six jobs. And if I've had a particularly challenging time with any of my jobs, I'm happy to take that to supervision. And he understands my mix of jobs. He was very supportive of my journey into, into supervision and had some good ideas to help me on my way. And I currently go six weekly. I've previously gone monthly. Um, and I know that if I needed to make have a shorter interval, because there's a lot on my mind, he'd be happy to do that.
1: It's really important to have that next one locked in too, because when things do get busy or chaotic or stressful at work, you feel like you don't have any time and it's never the time when you're going to say, oh, I need to make an appointment to see Melanie. And I often find myself, if things are getting busy or out of hand, wanting to cancel that appointment because I have that sort of sense of time pressure, but it's really important to, to book them in and stick to the plan. I've never
2: left supervision thinking, I wish I hadn't gone today.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you feel so much better afterwards. Yeah, you feel like you're back in control. That's great. And for busy people, doing supervision
0: once every six weeks sounds manageable.
2: Particularly if you're super busy, you can do it online. You don't even have to drive anywhere or leave your office.
0: So... You talked a little bit before about when you first went into supervision, what the supervisor did or what you were meant to do. Just say people are listening to this and they're thinking, I might want to give this a go. Renee might be my role model here and I might want to do it for my well-being. I'm not at crisis point. Or maybe I am at crisis point. How would someone go about finding the right supervisor for them?
2: You know, you can start with anybody. It's a bit like finding a GP. Every GP could treat your sore throat, but there's some GPs that you'll get on a deeper level of understanding with and you might be more prepared to talk about other things. Finding a supervisor can be a challenge. There isn't a list of supervisors, but psychologists generally are all supervisors. Social workers generally are all supervisors. So asking around seems to be the best approach. And in, in New Zealand, MPS will fund some supervision if you're in distress.
0: What's MPS? A Medical Protection
2: Society. So they fund psychology or counselling, but you can also use that to fund some supervision. I just contacted a local company of psychologists and said, I'm looking for a supervisor. Is anyone available?
1: Asking other people around you that might already be having supervision, like a social worker or a psychologist, finding out from them. We have a shared women's Facebook group for women doctors throughout New Zealand, and it's often asked on there.
0: That's really good to hear that people are commonly asking for it.
1: Yeah, it would be in the last four years or so, that it's become more and more and more common. I've got about 20 clients and none of the doctors had had supervision
2: prior to coming, but they're across a a wide range of specialties. So it's reaching out
1: now into, yeah, I'd say every specialty.
0: Great, yeah. What do you think you enjoy most about supervision?
1: Previously, even without me realising it, things used to tick around in my brain. You'd have some interaction and you'd get home and you'd think, oh, I wish I'd said this or... You know, should I follow that up or you know, should I just let it go or tick 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 tick? And now I just think, oh, I'll take that to Mel. When am I seeing Melanie next? Like you can kind of just park it and not think about it again until you get there. And then usually it's not even a thing by then, or it's a small thing that you can just talk through without all the emotional drainage that happens in your brain, the energy expended over over nothing.
2: When I know I'm taking something to supervision, I probably think about it in a more practical way because I know I've got to actually explain it to someone else.
1: Yeah, I've worked through some
2: of the emotion and get to the actual the intervention points rather than just being angry. And the classic for me was a workplace situation with the manager that was really going very, very badly. And the big revelation in supervision was essentially I can't change her, therefore I have to change what I'm going to do. And then being able to be really practical about what I'm going to do rather than just bitching and moaning about it.
0: What do you, Melanie, enjoy about being a supervisor? I really enjoy giving someone space and time
2: to talk about what's going on because my supervisees are very busy people. They have busy work lives, they have busy home lives. They would never ever sit down by themselves for an hour and go right I'm going to think constructively about this issue and so it's just lovely to be able to give someone that ability to work through their own situation. And I might occasionally go, well, have you thought about this angle? Or occasionally I'll say, hey, I would actually consider this, but I try not to do that. It really is giving them that space. And my heart saying, when someone said to me, you know what, because of this coming today, I didn't think about it all weekend and I had a really fun weekend with my family and I wouldn't have been able to do that. I would have meld this over all weekend
0: if I wasn't coming here. Wow, that's great. Giving people their time back because time is so precious. I was going to ask a bit about the anesthesia side of things, Renee, because I think you mentioned that you are getting CPD points for attending supervision.
1: Oh, um, actually, that's something I'm not entirely sure about. I think you can get CPD points, but I think it just comes under the learning and activities. Melanie, are you
0: finding in other medical specialties that they're able to get CPD points for attending supervision?
1: As a general
2: practitioner, I came under peer review and it's individual peer review because it's not education has to come under a different
1: section yeah that's the section that we find really hard to get the points in. it's easy to get the education points and
0: that's the college of gps i take it that recognize supervision is important
2: i'm not recognized when i said to them where can i claim this that's what they told me it's not listed and it's not yet common in general practice my faculty is trying to start up mentoring which is similar but different
0: And you mentioned before that your health service, Renee, was uh, allowing people to spend CME money to go and access supervision.
1: Yeah, I think there might be some DHBs throughout the country that actually pay for it outright. So it's not coming from people's personal CME budgets. But our DHB, it comes from our personal CME budget. So we get allocated money for education purposes for the year and we can use that money to pay for supervision. Do you
0: know, Melanie, if the other professions like psychology, social work, do they get their supervision paid for?
2: Yeah, paid for and done in work time generally, because it's an essential part of meeting your registration requirements. Sexual assault service I work and people go, right, well, I'm off to supervision now. I'll see you in an hour.
0: Do you think it's something that would be good if it was essential for doctors?
2: Absolutely. I've been really impressed, actually, that the really small number of people who drop out of supervision, because... You know, people only, as you say, people are busy, it's an hour out of your week, it might be an uncomfortable discussion, and yet the retention of my supervisees is really high, which would suggest that they're finding value from attending. And they've all, I think, without exception said, I wish I'd started this earlier. I wish I'd known about it. And I certainly feel that way. There were times in my career 20 years ago when this would have been amazing.
1: The group of people who don't get funding in terms of the medical workforce are the trainees and junior doctors. And I have recommended a couple of junior doctors I've known to go and see Melanie about career decisions or a variety of things, and they don't get funding. So it's quite a big expense for them. There are some avenues to funding, but yeah,
2: even then I've had people stick with it, which which is good.
0: Yeah, definitely. And coming back to what you said earlier, Melanie, about times of your career when you thought it would have been great to have supervision, had you known about it, could you describe some of those times?
2: Absolutely. Um, Just things like when I've been pondering about where do I want to be in New Zealand to work? What do I want my career to look like? I didn't want people to tell me what they thought. I didn't want advice. I wanted someone to really listen and hear me and help me work that through. And I didn't really have those people because, you know, they either didn't understand necessarily what I was trying to get at or they had their own idea of, oh, you'd be brilliant at it later. And when I was in a practice where I was thinking, I was enjoying certain aspects of the, the work but not enjoying other aspects and didn't quite know how to talk about that um, or have the right people to talk to. And I also realised that had I had it regularly, I think I just would have coped with certain situations better. That whole thing about I'll park this and take it to supervision and talk about it there, learning to reflect in action once I've been practicing reflecting on action.
0: Yeah I love I love the idea that it just frees up time that when you're with your family you're with your family you're not dwelling on what has been a source of frustration during the week. I think it sounds fantastic I think I need to go find a supervisor now. You can do
1: it online with Melanie on Zoom.
0: Melanie I've got your website and can I put that in the show notes? You're very welcome to yeah it's there for
2: everyone to see because I really want everyone to know what supervision is and that it's not scary and that it's not a punitive thing It's what you want to make it. And that's one of the real wonderful things about supervision is that every supervisee uses it slightly differently and gets something different from it. And it might be that they change over their time with supervision. They might use it to nut through a big career change. And then the next year, they might just be using it to sort out an interpersonal relationship at work.
1: On Melanie's website, she has a list of example questions of things that you might want to talk about.
0: That's great. I'll put a link to it. I'd like the website. I thought they were really good questions. Are you open, Melanie, to having new clients from overseas?
2: Absolutely. It's really been uh, valuable for my career and I'd like to bring that value into other careers as well.
0: Do you have conferences or do you meet with other supervisors? Not
2: formally. So I've got an informal group and I, I talk to my own supervisor and I've got this uh, other doctorate in my training with. We've been in touch with each other. It would be lovely to think we could in future have enough doctor supervisors to have
0: our own little network. And maybe there might be people listening who are thinking they might be interested in becoming a supervisor. So how would they find out more information about that?
2: I think first you have to be a supervisee. Go along, be a supervisee, find out what it is. There's lots of different training providers. I chose to go through the University of Auckland Largely on the basis that I'm used to academic learning, I understand what a university degree is, my prospective clients understand what a university degree is, and also I was a relative novice, and it became very apparent in my first paper that I was a total novice compared to the other people in my group who had all been supervisees for years, and many were providing supervision but hadn't done any formal training. There's no requirement to be trained to become a supervisor. Anybody can say I'm a supervisor, but I felt it was really important to actually have some academic rigour behind what I was doing. How long is the degree? I did a postgraduate certificate, so it was one year. I think I went to Auckland six times for two days of lectures and plus all the assignments and things.
0: Well done. I'm glad you did it. It sounds like Renee is a bit sad that she lost a good GP, but very glad that she's got a great supervisor now. Absolutely. I can see that you both really enjoy this relationship of supervision. Do you ever find that you have, say, clients that you don't have such a great interpersonal connection with, that you might find a bit more challenging I guess that's like in
2: my GP job as well. But it's interesting for me to think, hey, how can I work on this relationship? How can I make this work better? I don't have to be like someone. And if someone's got a very different life to me, different life stage, different things, sometimes that makes the supervision even better because I make fewer assumptions about what their life might be like. And therefore, I'll actually ask better questions. Tell me more about that. I don't understand this. What does that mean? And those are all the questions that actually are really useful in supervision. Whereas Renee, I'd be guilty of assuming that she holds certain opinions or, you know, we might share some ways of thinking about the world. Whereas someone who's from a different ethnic group, different country, different profession, then I can't have those kind of assumptions.
0: There's so many layers to it, isn't there? That's great. Renee, do you find that just say you're at work and you've got a colleague who's venting and ranting and frustrated, do you find that it's changed how you might talk to that person?
1: Yeah, I think so. But more, I guess that was what Melanie's talking about, putting it into action, reflection and action. I think I'm starting to do that. I'm certainly not as experienced as other people are that have been supervised for a longer period of time, but I'm starting to see that happening. Being able to sort of reflect at the time as to how my emotions impacting the conversation and what I need to do, whether I need to step away. Just at the time, being able to be a bit more sort of outside of myself, I guess, looking looking at the situation. The ability
2: to step back and just
1: take a slightly broader view. Do you ever
0: find that you might take on the role of a supervisor? Do you start mimicking some of Melanie's questions?
1: I actually think I do do that. I don't think I'm qualified. But yes, I do think that is definitely something that happens. But I also find myself time and time and time again saying this is something that if you had a supervisor you should take to your supervisor but
0: i just ask because sometimes you can't help but copy real role models <laughs> but it's important and you make a really good point there that it's also you knowing where your boundaries are
2: but if a supervisor can take those skills isn't it wonderful if there's a some you know, discussion at work and you can take a step back and and not get as emotionally involved or say have you considered another point of view It's almost like an an emotional intelligence kind of thing, isn't it? Definitely. And if we all took that into our workplaces and our workplace interactions, our workplaces would be better.
1: Yeah. And like one of the very early things you taught me, Melanie, was to, if you had a difficult interaction at work, was to try and find something in common with someone or just like to ask someone more about themselves or get to know them better. And I have talked to other people about doing that many times. And it's so hard to not like someone when you know a bit more about them and you can see them as a whole person. That's gold, I reckon.
0: That's a really key skill that people try and teach you when you learn negotiation. Mm, right. Is there anything that you would like people to know about supervision, being a supervisor, being a supervisee? No, just give it a go.
1: Yeah. You've kind of just got to give it a go to to realise how great it is.
0: Great. Give it a go. Don't wait to be in crisis mode. Mm-hmm, definitely. Really important. Get in point. there. You'll find out how much you enjoy it. Maybe you'll be inspired by Melanie and decide to become a supervisor. Look, I think it's been great. It's been great learning a little bit more about supervision. You both clearly enjoy being in this, my, my psychologist friend would say, being in this therapeutic relationship. So I think it's really nice being able to have a little sneak peek into it. Thank you. Thank you for your time and thanks for doing that.
2: Thank you for the opportunity. It's getting the word out there. has been really interesting and it seems to be a word of mouth phenomenon. You can tell it all you like to someone who's not heard of it, but it doesn't have the same strength as someone saying, I'm having supervision, I think you'd really find it useful.
0: I couldn't agree more. I'd love to see and hear more people, more doctors in Australia getting supervision. I love the ripple effect. You know, if your people are going into supervision, hopefully they do take a little bit of it out into their workplaces as well. And that just starts to contribute to everyone's well-being even more so. So well done. Well done, both of you. Thank you. Thanks for your time.
1: Thanks, Susie.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation and perhaps feel a little bit inspired about looking into supervision yourself. If that's the case, then I encourage you to look at Melanie's website. I'll put the link to it in the show notes, even if it's just to get an idea about some of the things you might want to talk about. If you've had experience with supervision or coaching, then I'd love to hear from you. Please do drop me an email on asa All right. Hope you're staying well out there. This podcast was produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists. More podcasts can be found on the ASA website asa.org.au. Music was La Dance by Maidan, which can be found on the Free Music Archive website. We hope you enjoyed listening.